So we're back again. We are. It's good to be here. Oh, after uh, uh, when did we last speak? Two weeks ago or something? Yeah, two or three weeks ago, probably two. <laughs> and and this time, I, I had so much fun talking last time, and we both wanted to chat again. And this time, we're going to talk nothing about design, nothing about branding. Although it might end up coming up, mm-hmm. but you suggested productivity discipline and self-promotion and i want to and i want to start this by your tweet because i think it's a good place to start <laughs> all right is, i'm going to quote you this is what you said i'm a reformed slacker and chronic underachiever i want to know what you meant by that to start with wow well i i meant what i said i mean for all of my life i've been kind of you know dialing it in i i feel like i've i've never really truly applied myself at anything and i've been able to as i think most kind of you know if you're somewhat talented at at anything in life you can kind of get away with a lot more than than you might have if if you didn't have those uh gifts and and that's kind of a, a a blessing and a curse, right? And and for me, I think it's been very much been a curse for, for most of my life where I've been able to get away with things. And so I've just kept, you know, <laughs> kept kind of cheating, I, I suppose. I mean, cheating at life, right? And I, it, it got to a point this year where I, I really felt fed up with myself, you, you know, just kind of pulling these like four hour work days most of the time and doing, I think really solid work for clients, but not really anything beyond that. I I never really, you know, devoted enough time to business development or to self-improvement or to any of these things. Instead, you know, I would, you know, do a, a few hours of work. I would, you know, roll out of bed at maybe 10, 11, 12, uh, in the morning and, you know, <laughs> it, it this sounds just amazing, got to, man. This sounds amazing. <laughs> you think? Well, it is amazing, but after a certain point, and and when you kind of take stock of where you're at in life and and where you could be if you really had been applying yourself, I think you just get really fed up with yourself. And I, for a brief moment, I, I felt kind of this this deep like self hatred, like wow, I. I'm really a piece of shit and I, I have to stop being such a piece of shit. And so, yeah, for, for the past month, month and a half, two months, I've, I feel like I've uh, actually put in an honest effort and, you know, I, I think it shows in, in my work and in my, in the results that I've been getting. Um, but it's, it's interesting. And, and I know that, you're kind of coming at this from from the complete opposite uh, side of things, right? You've always been very productive and and very much like a hard worker, and and so I'm I'm very excited to to do this conversation and to have this conversation with you um, because I think it, we can, I don't know, hopefully <laughs> hopefully deliver some value to people and and. Have some interesting insights, maybe. Solve what productivity actually is, maybe. Mm. Yeah, that's a tough question. Yeah, 
you know, I, I have this conversation a lot with people because naturally the first thing that people usually say to me is, oh my God, you do so many things and, and blah, blah, blah. And how do you get it all done? And, you know, you're a beast, though, those kind of words. And I'm like, <laughs> it, it's tough for me to break out of that and see myself outside of it because it's the, the only thing I've known for so long. Um, my my parents were always hard workers I, I, and it, it's reflected on me that the their work ethic and it's it's kind of it's never felt like work I, I've never felt like I'm working too hard believe me people tell me nearly constantly that I work too hard people are always telling me that and it's never felt like I am working too hard to me it's always been doing stuff that I enjoy doing. I've always seen them as side projects or I've just I've just got obsessed with something and I've wanted to do it over and over or I've I've done a I've done a side project every day for 365 days and my girlfriend's always saying you make yourself busy. It's not that you are busy, you make yourself busy. And I'm always like, well yeah, you know that that that's the point. I I make myself busy on purpose. So in terms of productivity, I I think I, I always feel that they're two two different things. I do do a lot of things, but whether I am productive with them or not is a is kind of a different thing. And for for the longest time, I don't think I was productive. The fact that I was doing all these things, excuse me, I don't think I was productive. I was doing a lot of things, starting a lot of things, never really finishing the things and never really having an output to show for the work that I've done. So for the longest time, I didn't feel productive. And really for the longest time as well, I felt like I have to I have to work in an office eight hours a day. I have to work nine while five, five days a week, and, and all those kind of things. So I think to, to some extent, the, the way that you're, the things that you're talking about, yeah, I think we can only get four hours of decent work done in a day. Hmm. Uh, solid, focused, creative work. And then sometimes there's days that go by where before I know it, I've got home at 5 p.m. or whatever, and then I've I've got obsessed by another project, and I'm working on that for three hours. And then suddenly I've done you know three or four more hours on another project. And then... I've got this kind of thing, the podcast and stuff, which is another hour or two, but they're not work. You know what I mean? I've just got all these things going on, but then I don't see them as work. They're just parts of my life. It's just the same as me going to a restaurant in an evening. I wouldn't class going mm. to a restaurant, although I can't now. I wouldn't class going to a restaurant for two hours as work. Do you know what I mean? It's just another thing that I do. Right. Yeah. That's an interesting way to look at things. I, I think... <sighs> Where do you separate those two, those two things? What is work and what is a hobby and, and what is... Yeah, exactly. That's that's the hard part, right? Especially when you run your own business. And yeah. really, I, I think in, in this kind of culture that we live in, everything is considered or it's turned into work, right? Hobbies frequently turned into some kind of work. You know, you turn a hobby into side hustle and then the side hustle becomes like the main, the main thing that you do. And it's, I, I think that 
there isn't this kind of strict compartmentalization any longer. And I don't know if that's contributing to like, you know, burnout or, or, you know, people feeling like they, they do more work than maybe they actually do. I, it's interesting. So you, you've been able to kind of increase your, your efficiency and your productivity really by, I, I, I guess playing, <laughs> you know, tricking your own brain into thinking that, Oh, well, this is something entirely different. And so now I have all of this new energy, right? Is that kind of how you do it? Uh, I, yeah, I, I guess so. So a typical day, a typical day might be, I'll, I'll get up at 9am. I'll get up at 8 or 9am. I'm not an early waker. I'm not an early riser. I never have been. I get up at 9am. I go to work. So we've got an office. We've got a studio at Genius Division. I go to Genius Division. I, I tend to stay there till 5 or 6pm. And then I go home and then I'll, I'll get some, something to eat or, you know, something to eat. Or I'll usually work out at that time or lift weights or go for a walk or go for a run or whatever. And then 8 p.m. or 9 p.m., I'll usually start working on something else again. And that thing that I work on then, at the minute, is produce more, so making the images on Twitter and Instagram, and sometimes the podcast stuff as well, or basically a, a kind of a, a fun thing. And I, I think where the energy comes from is because I, I want to do it. It's a fun, it's a fun thing. I don't, inst some people might sit down on the evening and watch Netflix. And that's not the thing that I do. Instead of watching TV, I, I go, I go sit back at my computer and do, and do something else and work on something that I find fun or interesting or that develops my skills. And there's been various times through my career over 15 years where I've done nothing on an evening where I have come home from the studio and just sat there and watched TV or or sat there um you know I played a video game or something like that there there is times when I've done that but every time I've done that over an extended period of time I felt a little bit like what you felt like you I started to feel like I'm not advancing and I I've a, this is a personal thing for me I've always had this feeling that I should be advancing. I should be getting better at something. I've, for forever, for as long as I can remember, I've always thought that I should be getting better. And that's probably something I should speak to a therapist about. But <laughs> I, I've always felt like that. So I should always be advancing something and always improving something and always working on getting better at something because... I don't know where it comes from. I've just always felt like that. So whenever I feel like I'm not progressing on something, if I can look back at myself from a year ago and feel like, well, nothing's really changed. If I if I do that, I feel like what you felt like. I, I feel like, well, what have I been doing for a year? I've, I've done nothing. I've just, everything I've done in between has, has not advanced me in any kind of way. So it all started for me 12 12 or 13 years ago by doing a, a design project where I made an A4 poster every day for 365 days. And I think that's where where the idea came from, where 
I, I developed the discipline to be able to turn it on when I needed it because there was times when it was quarter, quarter to midnight and I still had to do a poster for the day and I was determined not to lose because I was working against my boss and I didn't want to, I didn't want to not do one so I just got the laptop out, sat down at quarter to midnight and did it. So for all that time, because I've done so many of these challenges, it kind of develops a base level of discipline in me that anything I want to do, I can do it if I, if I put my mind to it. The, the idea to me that I can't be bothered to do it, even though I still feel like that for some things, it, it's not even a problem. If, if I can't be bothered, I just go, right, just, just go get it done. It doesn't matter. Just do it. And I've been like that forever since I did those. So I think really those challenges and those daily challenges that I did have kind of turned me into that kind of person where I can turn discipline on if I need it. Right. Do you ever, <laughs> do you ever just, you know, get the, uh, temptation to, to watch a Netflix show or to kick back and play some video games? Does that happen still? Or yeah, yeah. has that part of your brain just completely died and, and wilted away? <laughs> no, not at all. I'm, I'm not a robot. It just, I still looks that way. Yeah. I still play video games. (laughs) I still love playing video games. It's one of the the things I enjoy doing over watching Netflix. I still watch Netflix. I watch maybe an hour of it every couple of days or something like that. I'm not a big, I'm not a big TV watcher. I like watching movies. I like going to the cinema and watching movies, but again, I can't do that at the minute. So I don't do any of that really. The only thing I do is play video games and I only do them really at, on a Sunday maybe, on a Saturday sometimes. I tend to not do any work on a weekend. For a while I have had that rule, maybe a couple of years, where if I can help it, I don't do anything on a weekend. I'll I'll still do, I'll still do the images or something like that, but I, generally I won't do much work on a weekend. So I, I tend to fill up my entire week with zoom calls or doing podcasts or or, or doing the images or, or whatever during the week it's all fair game I'll, I'll i'll work from nine till midnight if i'm passionate about something but no not work again it's not work <laughs> it's I, you see even i'm conditioned to call it work when it just doesn't feel like work to me it's just another mm. thing that i do interesting yeah I, I, you know, I, I still do do everything that everybody else does. It's, it's, it's just, I, I choose when I want to do it. Some days I, I can't be bothered with anything. I'll, you know, I'll get a pizza, I'll watch Netflix or I'll watch a film or I'll play a video game and I won't do any work. It's just that I, I think the level of the output that I put out and, be, and Hype Fury helps with this, that I can schedule things. It looks like I'm doing more things than I am. Or maybe I am doing more things than most people. I don't know. But to me, it isn't as high of a level. Uh, in some, when lockdown first hit, the, I was making a YouTube video every single day. I was editing the video every single day. I was publishing it every day. I was making a podcast every day. I was doing the images every day. I was doing way more than I'm doing now. So I guess my level is somewhere really high up, you know, through the ceiling. And most people see the things that I'm doing now as as still being quite a high level. But 
to me, to me, it isn't. I guess I've I've got a, high, a higher work work pain threshold or whatever you want to call it. Right. <laughs> See, for me, it's. I mean, the the inclination to to just be lazy has always been stronger for me than, you know, the inclination to actually do work. And it wasn't until I. I think what really triggered it was I recently um, I recently bought a condo, mm. and and you know up, up until this point I've I've just been been renting an apartment here, and that really went once I signed the contract that really scared the shit out of me like I. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about, okay, well, uh, so now I'm indebted to the bank and I need to make a certain amount of money every single month and every single year. Otherwise this could end up and really poorly for me. And, <laughs> you know, I don't think I'd ever end up like out on the street or anything, but you know, I, I just don't want to be like that guy that lost his his house because he, you know, he couldn't make the mortgage payments. Yeah. And at that point, you know, it, I, I guess things kind of became realer in a sense where I started thinking about, wow, well, you know, what am I doing right now that's going to guarantee that I can put food on the table and that that I can make my mortgage payments a year from now, right? Mm -hmm. And the the honest answer was, well, not really that much. I mean, I'm doing stuff to to pay rent right now, uh, but it's not, you know, I'm not setting myself up for massive success further down the road. And so that was a big wake up call for me. And then <laughs> I, um, so I was walking, taking a stroll through, through town here. And I noticed that there, there were a few more like vacancies, uh, you know, businesses that had closed down and the, the landlords were looking to, to fill office space. And I thought to myself, wow, like if, if I had, you know, a million dollars in the bank or, or something like that, there are so many opportunities right now with this downturn. And, and that might be a little, you know, predatory or, or cynical or, or something like that. But I thought to myself, well, I could actually, you know, I could start a business or I can buy a business that's kind of uh, down on their luck currently. And through my skills in marketing and my skills in design, I think I could really, you know, make something out of it, but I don't have that amount of cash just lying around. But then I thought, well, I dropped out of college in order to start this business. And that has, you know, that has meant that I'm way ahead of most of my peers. Like most of the people that I went to high school with, they're still in university, right? And they're hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. I'm debt free up until recently with this mortgage. Um, but you know, I'm way ahead of them. And then I thought, well, what if I had dropped out of high school instead? And I thought, well, did I really learn that many important things in high school? Not really. Right. And 
my pace of learning, my rate of learning rapidly accelerated once I kind of got out of, of these educational institutions. And so I think that, you know, had I dropped out of high school, you know, maybe I would be a millionaire by now. And, you know, of course you could <laughs> draw that to its logical conclusion of <laughs> just skipping school altogether. But point being, you know, I, I feel like I've, and I genuinely feel this way, I feel like I've lost out on so much time spending those, uh, those years in, in high school and in all these different institutions. Yeah. And I just need to make up for it, right? And if I can, you know, work at twice the capacity that I have been working at, then I'm effectively, you know, if something would have taken me two years to, to get to a certain point, I'll get there in one year instead, right? And more realistically, I've only been putting in maybe, you know, 20% of my actual capacity at work. And so if I, you know, that's five times the, the capacity if I'm operating at 100%, but it's, you know, it's a, a respectable three times or four times the capacity, even if I'm not, you know, giving it my honest all. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that means that I can get to where I would have been in, in four years from now in just one year. And that's like, that's an, a very kind of accelerating uh, prospect and an idea that, wow, I can, instead of, you know, being like, 28 years old when I have these things and I have like a family and a big house and a nice car, blah, blah, blah. I could potentially have that in one year or two years from now when I'm 25 or 26. And that, you know, that makes a big difference, especially in the long run. Right. It's kind of like the compounding interest of of time there. Mm. So you kind of did a a time cost calculation and thought, well, if I work twice as hard, I can get things twice as quick. Is that basically the way that you're coming at it from? Yeah, exactly. Because really, like, making a ton of money has, I mean, of, of course, it's it's an attractive idea, right? But it it's never really truly motivated me that much. I think, you know, as long as I'm making a decent amount of money, that's that's fine. But I think thinking of it in terms of time, and opportunity costs that, you know, time is something that you will never get back. And do you really want to waste it just kind of, you know, sleeping a lot or, or watching Netflix or playing video games or doing all of these things that aren't really getting you to where you want to be? That's kind of a terrifying prospect to me. I think it's a balance in all of these things and it is and it is really really hard balance to get and and I'm saying that from a person who was burnt out twice and had to continue running my life in the same way I, I didn't get to burn out and you know go take six months off and relearn everything that I already learned I burned out twice and had to continue doing everything I already did so I there is downsides to working too much and we'll put the label work on it because it's the thing that people understand the most. So there is downsides to doing too much work, but I I know now after doing it twice, why it happened to me twice. And in terms of burnout for me, what that meant is that 
I was massively demotivated. I didn't I didn't want to do what I wanted to do anymore. I questioned about being a designer. I questioned running an agency. I, I thought I was rubbish at it. I, and all these feelings of anxiety come up from suffering from burnout. And then to sit on top of that, I started, the first time I had burnout, I started suffering from panic attacks and really bad anxiety and all kinds of stuff. So it really messed me up the first time I suffered from anxiety, from burnout. And all of that came from, for me, for spending too much time doing the wrong things. So the only thing I know is working hard at something. It's, it's literally the only thing I know. The only thing I know is to hit something over and over and over and over and over and over until it turns into something useful. That's the only, you know, the only trick I have. So whenever anything is presented to me, anything I want to learn, anything I want to get good at, anything I want to turn into something good, I just work it, work it, work it, work it, beyond what anybody else would do. So if you're doing that over and over and over, and you're spending your time in the wrong way, so you're doing you're doing it towards something that doesn't that isn't going to affect your life in a positive manner or by spending so much time doing that it means that you're worrying about something else a lot of the time it leads to burnout and i uh, and i think a lot of people wouldn't agree with me but having having suffered from burnout twice i'm now convinced that burnout isn't a cause of working too hard it isn't a cause of spending too much time at a computer it's a cause of spending too much time doing the wrong things over and over and mentally not addressing the fact that you're doing the wrong thing so so you turn up every day and spend 18 hours doing something that you hate that kind of thing leads to burnout so the the whole hard work thing I, i think is really tough because i think when you do start to get obsessed with working a lot and I've been there way worse than I am now way 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 worse working seven days a week working weekends never watching tv never doing anything just working too much not exercising that was the worst level I got to uh, being massively overweight all of those things that isn't good there's, there's no level of that that's good but I think there's a balance to find somewhere between it where but I, I think to find the balance, you've got to go through the bad side. And, and that is that is the problem. We, we get told by so many people that working too hard is a bad thing. Period. That's what people say to you. And if they see that you are working past 5pm on a night, they tell you, Craig, you need to go home. Or, you know, if you're working on a weekend, they say, what, what are you doing? Why are you working on a weekend? If it's close to midnight or, or whatever, why are you still sat at your laptop? I get these things all the time. But when you're working towards the right thing and you're doing it for the right reasons and if you are enjoying it, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Uh, and that's that's why the hard work thing bugs me a little bit because if you if you were to double your, your workload, if you were to say, right, if I do... 12 hours a day, five days a week, instead of six hours a day, five days a week. It doesn't directly translate, in my experience, to double the amount of money or double the amount of productivity. Because there's a lot of other things 
to think about. You know, you get tired of working on a project, you might be mentally tired of it. And if you are spending those 12 hours doing the wrong thing, it leads to much worse things. So the whole hard work thing is such a difficult area to navigate. And the the only way to get around it, I think, is is to figure out what the right level is for you. I, I do actually think the level of work that somebody can put in, it can be trained. And I think I've probably proved that to somewhat that your work threshold can be trained. But I do think it's very individual. If you look at somebody like Gary Vaynerchuk, he works like 13, 14 hours a day, every single day. And that is not, that's not a lie. And the effort he puts in his, his business proves the results that you can get from that. But he's an anomaly and most people can't do that. And then when you look at me, the kind of level of quote-unquote hard work that I put in, it isn't a, a level that most people can achieve that aren't for the same reasons. It's I'm just an anomaly. So you, you've got to take it very careful, I think, and take it one step at a time and understand where your level of work is. I think, I think for, for creative work on one project, four hours a day, for me, I think that's plenty enough. I never get to spend pretty much four hours a day on a project. Um, but I, I think that the problem comes with most people, like I said, is where if they're spending 12 hours a day on lots of individual stuff where they never feel like they get anything done, and then you leave the you leave the office or you leave your studio and you think, I've spent 12 hours and I've not got anything done. So that was a long rambling answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think it's very interesting you brought up uh, burnout. And, and that's something that's always kind of made me wonder and, and it's perplexed me to be to be perfectly honest because I've I'm by nature skeptical of, of a lot of these kind of modern uh, you know illnesses that that a, a lot of people have or, or they say they have and you know I don't doubt that the symptoms are real but oftentimes I feel like the the causes are are kind of misidentified and it sounds like you you agree that Hard work in and of itself is not really the problem. And the problem comes with, you know, you're, when, your priority, when your priorities are kind of out of whack and you're doing, you're focusing on the wrong things in life, right? And when you do that very intensely, I, you know, I can only imagine that at some point you, you kind of reach this inflection point where, you begin to wonder like, why am I doing this? And, and what is it good for? And at that point, you know, if you don't have a very good answer, you, you know, you're going to be depressed because that's like a very big kind of, you know, cognitive dissonance to deal with knowing that you have spent X amount of hours, X amount of years doing something. And it really doesn't have like a greater, purpose right it doesn't it doesn't you know lead to anything substantial or, or important in your life but and, and obviously I've, I've never <laughs> uh, I, I've never even been close to uh, to burnout <laughs> um, but it, you so know, it, I, I'm burnout not speaking can, burnout can happen at the level mm. of work that you're talking about if you're doing mm. the wrong things 
Well, it, then is it really fair to call it burnout? Isn't it just a depression or kind of an existential crisis? Maybe. I guess, I, because burnout to me, that sounds like, wow, you've been, you know, you've been working so hard. You've been going so hard at this thing and you burned out, right? You it, it all fizzled out and there's no more, uh, you know, there's no more fuel left because you used it all up. I think I think the best analogy for it is that if you imagine you've got a, a big stick and you you want to use it as a lever and you've got a big stick and you've got a big weight on on the other side of the room and the weight is too big for you to lift you can never just walk over to it and pick it up so you've got a gigantic wooden stick and you put the wooden stick underneath it and there's kind of two ways to approach that you either spend and an amazing amount of effort to keep pushing the stick underneath it over and over in as quick amount of time as possible and it, it and if you're using the wrong stick at that point eventually the stick's going to snap but if if you've chosen the right stick to move the weight eventually you will move it the result the result is you know you still want to move the weight but you might be using the wrong stick so i i, I often think the, the hard work thing as part of it you need to put in hard work to achieve anything there's no way around that and it's the it's the thing it's the thing that people like to say isn't necessary but it it is hard work is necessary for anything but if you put in the hard work in the wrong place using the wrong stick eventually it snaps so i i i don't think the hard work is the problem um i i think and I've I've heard it talk talked about before where you don't um, basically it's mental health care if you don't address the, the the things that are going on in your head. So if you're worried about something and you just stick it to the back of your mind and you don't address it, uh, and that that's what happened to me a lot. I was worried about something, I stuck it to the back of my mind and carried on working, and eventually that builds up to a point a point where the stick snaps and you, you can't you have to deal with the situation but it's 10 times 100 times worse than if you would have just dealt with the initial thing that popped up so that kind of thing compounds over time if you are spending 12 hours a day on something and there's a little bit of a worry in the back of your mind that worry compounds over 12 months to be some kind of big thing that you've got to deal with at the end of it Uh, and the mind works in mysterious ways and trying to unpick a year of worry after you've been worrying about something. And for me, in the first case, the first case of burnout, it was worry over years, not just one year. Trying to unpick that is impossible to understand because, it, again, the, you know, the mind works in really mysterious ways, so it's tough to unpick. I do believe burnout's real, and it's a, a, it's a common, common, common thing in the creative industries, designers suffer from it a lot, and it and it is this it is this thing of separation of work. We struggle, we struggle. Well, maybe not you, <laughs> but <laughs> but most designers struggle to separate the life of being a designer from themselves. Design is is them. It's it's all encompassing. Everything about them is design. You are thinking about design all of your life, everywhere you go, you never escape from it. That leads to burnout because you, you never, 
you never address it and you you're always you're al- you're almost always worrying about design uh which over time hits you pretty hard hmm it's interesting I, this is where my my kind of annoying contrarian personality kicks in which has gotten me into trouble more than a few times but <laughs> to me i it, it seems to me that burnout is something that afflicts mostly, like you said, like the creative industries and, and people that have kind of cushy office jobs, right? Let's be honest. And I, I just think about my grandfather and, and all of his brothers. You know, my grandfather, he, he had a lot of different jobs. He was a ditch digger. He uh, worked in the forest. You know, he... Uh, he was a farmhand. He uh, he worked as kind of the foreman of, of this big estate. And especially, you know, I, I think throughout his life, but especially in his 20s and 30s and 40s, I mean, he would work, you know, 12-hour days, you know, digging ditches and, and doing real, uh, you know, back-breaking work, you know, quite literally back-breaking work, right? And... I don't know that he or, or anyone of, of his siblings or anyone that I have ever spoken to from that generation ever suffered from, from burnout or, or even described anything resembling burnout, right? And so and I, know I have this sneaking suspicion and, and maybe I'm, I'm completely wrong here and, and kind of uh, way out of my depth, but I have the sneaking suspicion that what is called burnout is, is really just, I mean, it's, it's a form of depression, right? And depression afflicts people that don't, you know, never do a day of day's work in, in their whole lives too. Right. And, and you would never, uh, <laughs> at that point, you know, you would say that, well, maybe it's because you're not working that you're, you're depressed, but I suspect that it is caused by, you know, this, cognitive dissonance knowing in the back of your head that fundamentally what you're doing doesn't really matter and and your life is fundamentally without purpose which i think is something that is increasingly common and and has been very common for for decades where you know a hundred years ago or even just 60 years ago there was this very concrete purpose to work for example which was you know you need to support your family right and i think to a lesser extent now uh you know it's still true to some extent but i think less so now where we are much more concerned about self-fulfillment and all of these kind of needs that are further up in in the the maslowian hierarchy right and I wonder, you know, is, is that really healthy or do we need to get back to, you know, maybe doing a little bit of backbreaking work and maybe not worrying so much about what is going on in our heads? I think that it's a luxury that we have that we can kind of worry about these things and we can seek counseling and we can all do all of these different things. And a lot of them are really great. You know, I spend a lot of time, you know, kind of ruminating and, and reflecting on, on life and on things. I've always been very interested in philosophy, but 
some point, I think that stuff can kind of drive you insane. And maybe at some point you need to kind of, you know, just <laughs> pick up the shovel and, and start digging. Right. I think, I don't know. I think you, you, you're almost there. I think you're 80% there with the idea. And I know exactly what caused my burnout. It was a lack of progress. And this is, this is something that, uh, if we were to talk simpler jobs, you never, you always make progress on a simple job. If you dig in a grave, you get the grave dug. If you know, any, no, any simple manual labor job, you get the job done. You are told to do a thing and you get it done. Simple as that. And the waters start to become muddy and murky when we start to work in digital places, in, in digital areas, or we start to work in design especially. It can be really tough to get any any results for some people. And I think that's the problem with, for, for a lot of people, and it was a problem for me, that I wasn't making progress. And as human beings, we desire and require progress. We, we require the need to do something and get it done. And these two things, doing something and getting it done, and action, are the two things I think that when you have neither of those things causes burnout. And, th- and this is why I've, I became so obsessed with taking action on things and just doing something. I even call my website, Get Doing Things. Because if you can do something, no matter how small it is, and you can do it regularly, and this is why I do so many things daily, it staves off that feeling of no progress. So if if I've made no progress today at work, you know, I've been working, excuse me, I've been working with a difficult client or whatever, I've just had a really shitty day, I know I can come home and make progress by making an image and uploading it to Twitter and Instagram, done. I, I've, I've dug my grave for that day. I've made progress on something. And it may, instantly makes you feel better. Uh, as soon as you create something from beginning to end, it makes you feel better. And every time I see anybody who is struggling with something, and I get a ton of these messages uh, as DMs on, on Twitter, every time people are struggling with something, it's because they are not taking action. They're thinking constantly. And you're right, there is a level of ruminating that you get to where you be, just be, you become obsessed with thinking about a million different possibilities and you think, well, what if this happens? And okay, well, what if I put a strategy in place for this not to happen? And then you think, well, what happens if that happens? And before you know it, <laughs> you've got this ridiculous 60-page yeah. strategy of something, but no action. You haven't dug mm. a grave. You've got the most perfect strategy and plan to dig a grave that has <laughs> ever been seen, but there's no grave that's been dug. And I, I honestly think that's where my burnout came from. And I think that's where a lot of people's anxiety and stress and feelings of no progress comes from, is that they have made no progress. It's a, it, it is as simple as that. We, we, we get trained to feel like we're making progress by writing a couple of tweets or making a plan or writing a business plan or all those kind of things. But in actuality, you you haven't manifested something in the world. You haven't made something. You haven't created something. And I, I, I honestly think that's why 
journaling can feel so powerful, writing words and putting them online or, you know, writing a blog, writing words and putting them online, having an email newsletter, writing words, putting them online, just creating something. It doesn't have to be good. Uh, every year where I've done a daily project, I've felt better about it. The, it, the, res, the end result, it, it doesn't even matter. The, the quality of it is not even a thing. With the whole produce more thing, I'm not bothered about the resulting quality. It is purely an exercise. I, I call them design meditations several times. That's what it is. It's my, it's my daily grave digging. Yeah, it's interesting because in, in this situation, I mean, the, the actual process of doing things, that becomes the end result that you that you felt that you were lacking before, right? When you felt this, this burnout and you were frustrated that you hadn't made progress. But really, what I, it sounds to me that what you've done is kind of reframed what it is that you do so that you're not focused as much on quantitative measures of you know, money or, or how many clients you served, things like that. But just you are looking at, you know, how many feet of, you know, ditch have you, uh, <laughs> have you dug this year, right? It's a really and you're mor- not morbid analogy. worried about, you know, what purpose does that ditch serve? Yeah. I mean, we, we're, we're stuck on this grave digging. It's a beautiful one. Yeah, we're, we're, really, <laughs> we're really stretching the, the analogy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, focused, I'm focused on doing something no matter what it is. Uh, and that's what brings most joy to my life. I've never been like you. I've never been that obsessed about money. I've never had any desire to become you know, a multi-billionaire or anything like that, just have enough and I've already got enough. So that's never been a driver for me, but my mental health is a big driver. My health in general is a big driver and your mental health and your physical health both play off each other as well. So they they became a bigger driver for me after figuring out what went wrong twice. I never really want to be in the same situation again. Uh, and I think this year, despite everything that's gone around me, everything that's gone around everybody, it's one of the best years that I've ever had, both personally and professionally and mentally and the way that I've felt because I've given myself up to the process, finally. And even though I've done all all these kind of projects in the past, it only really feels like this year that I've kind of finally figured it out that, putting something, I don't really know what it is, but putting something online and publishing it and having it there for the potential for somebody to see, even though in likelihood most people won't see it because it's not a hugely popular project, just the fact that it is online and it's potentially out there for somebody to see makes you feel like (laughs) you've dug a grave. It makes you feel like you've made something from beginning to end rather than it just sitting on your computer. And and when people talk to me about that kind of feeling, often it is the fact that they've made something and never published it because they might be scared of what people think that makes people 
doubly anxious. They're anxious on what people will think, and then they are also anxious that they've made no progress. Uh, and the result is so simple, it hurts. Just hit publish. But it's so hard for so many people to do. So hard. Yeah, and I think one of the... <laughs> One of the big obstacles for me in the past in, in terms of self-promotion, which was one of the other things that we were going to talk about today, it has been this kind of, I don't know if, it, if it's because I'm introverted or if it's because I lack self-confidence, which I don't think is the case, but I have always felt this very strong resistance to self-promotion. Maybe it's the Swedish culture that I grew up in that you're not supposed to, you're really not supposed to, uh, <laughs> you know, elevate yourself. Um, you're supposed to downplay what, what it is that you've done and, and you're not really supposed to even mention it. But I, I think, and based on many conversations that I've had with people from all over the world, I, I think that this is a, a fairly kind of universal hang up that there is this like sense of resistance to, to tweeting or to posting, you know, one of your designs or, or doing these things because, well, let's be honest, like how many people do really care about what it is that you've been up to, right? it's probably not that many and particularly not when you're starting out or when you haven't been posting things. I think ironically, there's this kind of self-perpetuating feedback loop of the more that you post, the more people will care. Right. But getting to that point is, is very difficult and can oftentimes be very discouraging because once you do kind of muster enough, uh, bravery or, or <laughs> whatever it may be um and and you hit publish and then it's just crickets right no one even has looked at what you've done no one has clicked on it you know and you can see the analytics and it's just wow great i i did all of this work and no one is going to reward me for it no one is going to validate uh, <laughs> you know, my feelings and, and that's like a very, that's very tough. And I think at least for me, and I know for a lot of other people too, you know, you'd rather just not post at all at that point. Right. It, unless you're sure that people are actually going to care and, and that people are actually going to like it might as well, you, you know, save yourself the indignity of <laughs> of having like this this post of all of this work that you've done or this idea that you thought was really smart and it's just like zero likes zero retweets zero replies and wow you know i'm just gonna go <laughs> you know i don't know you've you've lie down in that ditch <clears throat> that you've dug the grave yeah. that you've dug. <laughs> uh, Self-promotion, man. I, I'm the same because British culture is very similar to the Swedish culture. We don't brag about what we do. We're very, we're very self-deprecating. We, it, it, it isn't to 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 take horrible British phrase. It isn't cricket 
to you know to be like this. Most British <laughs> most British people aren't people who shout from the rooftops about who they are. So we both come from the same same cut. Um but the biggest thing about self promotion simplest way to explain this is I tweeted this the other day. I've tweeted thirty seven thousand times and twenty seven of those tweets have taken off. So mm. self promotion isn't a one-time thing and the things that you think are going to be successful the things that you think people are going to like never works out like that in my experience it just seems to be that the universe decides what's going to be popular and successful and and you and and you either choose to make more of that thing and then you eventually become successful and become known for the thing that took off or you're a little bit of a contrarian like me and you think, I don't want to make more of that, I'm going to make this other thing, and you never really get potentially to the level that you could probably achieve. So self-promotion is a massive, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's almost, you've got to beat yourself up every single day, self-promotion. Self-promotion is beating yourself up every single day, knowing, and you've got to understand that most people aren't going to care about what you're posting for a very very long time i've been posting the produce more things since may and i've got 1500 followers you know it's not really that many um i'm I'm chuffed with it i'm I'm pleased that 1500 people are interested in, in, yeah in that, it's not bad in that project but for the for the lot for, for a long time i had maybe i don't know 200 followers or 100 followers or something and it's such a hard time at the beginning when nobody's caring about what you're saying and it's even harder even harder and i had to get over this for me even harder when you know that the content you are making is better than some people who might have twenty thousand or thirty thousand followers on twitter you know in your heart is better and if only you could take over their twitter account you'd know it'd do better but your 30,000 followers behind them. So that's, again, quite, you know, it feels quite bad to be in that position. Uh, And the only thing to do, and I've only realized this this year because it's only this year I've started trying with Twitter for the first time ever, all you've got to do is just keep hammering. (laughs) You've just just got to keep going. Uh, And everybody, and I've seen friends who have taken off on Twitter specifically, way faster than I have and I'm, I'm really thankful that they've took off it's amazing to see uh, and the only thing I can see is that everybody takes off at their own level in terms of self-promotion not just Twitter everybody takes off at their own level and somebody at some point takes off and it, it might be in two months it might be in two years but 95% of people don't stick around long enough to take off they just they give up because they they can't take the fact that nobody cares, nobody gives a shit, um, yeah. <laughs> and then and then they just they just stop, which is which is sad, you know. So self promotion for me is really new, and it's only this year I've gone into production overdrive, just trying to make anything. Uh, the only thing I've had for a really long time is the podcast. That's not hugely successful by any means you know each episode might get 50 downloads or something 
it isn't massively successful. So you've you've kind of just got to stick at it, and and I think that's probably that's the hardest thing for everybody to do. Just keep going uh, when you're not getting the feedback because you you see these people who take off so quickly, and you think, well, my content's better than theirs, so I'll just take off better than them. It doesn't work like that. The universe doesn't allow that. Right. <laughs> yeah. I. Yeah. I. I guess it's. It really is about being tenacious. I also think, though, and, and it's interesting that you ended on, <laughs> on that note, because obviously, I, I. This is something that I've struggled to come to terms with, and it's something that I've kind of realized and and fully internalized only fairly recently is that. You know, the smartest people are not the ones that have the most success. And it's oftentimes being fairly smart or intelligent oftentimes works against you, right? Because most people yeah. are not working at, they're not operating at your level. And when you are, you know, far, <laughs> you know, on the right side of the bell curve in, in terms of IQ and, and things of that nature, it becomes difficult to uh, sort of lower yourself. And this sounds really bad, but it becomes difficult to, to lower yourself to the level of, you know, what is going to appeal to the most amount of people. Right. And you also and don't want this... to use the cheap tactics that you know work. Exactly. Exactly. Because you feel like you're above them. And, I, um, one of the perks of, of working with Ed Lattimore and having him as, as one of my clients is, you know, I have access to his different products about how to be successful on Twitter and he breaks down different tweets of his. And so I kind of went through some of those courses of his earlier this year. And then I started a Twitter account in Swedish just kind of commenting on, on current events and, and politics and, you know, society, things of that nature. Right. And I was determined to treat this as like an experiment as a game, right? Because that's one of the things that Ed talks about in, in one of his courses is really like Twitter is a game and you have to play it. Right. And, and you have to know how to play it. And it's not just about, you know, the best content or the best ideas win you have to play to the algorithm. You have to play to people's emotions and you have to always keep that in mind. And you have to be, you know, polarizing even when you might, you know, not want to be because polarizing content does better than nuanced and, and non-polarizing content. Yeah. And so I applied these, these different principles and, it was really successful. I mean, Sweden is a very small country and most people of course do not use Twitter. And despite that, I think I got this 750, 800 followers in I think two months and, you know, several tweets of mine just popped off. I, I would say that I was averaging my average tweet got maybe 50 likes, 15 to 20 retweets. And for anyone that's active on Twitter, like, that's really good, especially if you have a very small following. And, you know, that was easy to me because it wasn't, the content wasn't centered 
around me, right? I wasn't talking about myself too often. Yeah. But when it comes to using Twitter or social media in general as like a tool for self-promotion and, and in order to grow your business, it's very different, right? Because all of a sudden, everything that you do is about yourself or your ideas or your work, the things that you've done for other people. And it, it is bragging, right? And it is presumptuous to think that anyone would care about your take on whatever it might be accounting. Yeah. Because, you know, there's such a, such an extensive literature about accounting or about design and really what, what do you have to contribute to that? Sure. You might be a great designer. You might be a great accountant, but really, are you a thought leader? Probably not, you know, at least not until you actually are one. Right. And like you pointed out, that takes being tenacious, that takes tenacity and that takes, you know, sticking it out and suffering through being like completely ignored and, <laughs> and, uh, you know, looked past for possibly years. And yeah, it's, it, it really is tough. Yeah. I think over, over time, I, I just want to, two things, but the first thing I want to mention is that people do want to hear your point of view because you are you and there's only you on this planet and you only think the way that you do. And there is a portion of people who do want to hear the way that you think. And it, and it, and it's gonna be smaller than some other people, but if it's a couple of thousand people, which it could easily be, that's enough. And, you know, there, there is always, uh, you've seen, you've seen this. I mean, just look at Ed Lattimore. He, you know, he's just, he's just a guy, but he's got 130 or 140,000 followers on Twitter. So there's no, there's no reason why you just being a guy called John can't do the same if you talk about the thing that you want to build an audience around over time. But yeah, it does take time. It does take time and you do have to give yourself up to the process a little bit. And when I say give yourself up to the process, I do mean using some of the tactics that you might not want to use and being a little less nuanced and all those kind of things. And the way I, the thing that really flipped a switch in my head was tweeting 10 times a day. The first thing I just said, right, I'm going to tweet 10 times a day. Simple as that, nothing else. And the second thing when it was when I was started to think a little bit about trying to become a character rather than me, uh, because by by definition, people are only seeing you on Twitter or where wherever else. As it's only a small portion of your life, and it's it needs to be slightly elevated from what you normally are. So anything that you do needs to be a bit more extreme and and that's a little bit of the game that you've got to play as well you have to be in a little bit of a character and almost a, a little bit memeable you know you're developing your own personality into a meme and and that's why I have the conversation with so many people about wow you do you do so much stuff because I make it look like I do so much stuff and right I, 
<laughs> and, and it's one of the only things I ever talk about, about discipline and getting things done and blah, 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 blah. So you do become known for things like that. And the the way that you get around only, and this is where the wider self-promotion comes in, the way that you only become get around becoming known for one thing is by having multiple things. So a podcast potentially where you can talk nuance with people just like we've been doing for the last hour. Twitter isn't the place for nuance. Mm. You've, you've just got to give yourself up to the process. But it, it is hard and it's still hard for me because I am in marketing just like you and I know all the tricks, tips and hacks and I know... I could build an account up tomorrow if I did all of those things, but I don't want to because I want to be true to myself. So by necessity, I grow slower than everybody else that I'm surrounded by, but I'm cool with that, you know? As long as you're right. okay as long as you're okay with that, then that's fine. But if you want to build a big audience up and you're not willing to use the tactics, well then it's your fault, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Now, I'm going to play devil's advocate here for a bit because I, there were a couple of things there that, you, you know, I, I think are probably true, but I think, you know, out of the 50 or so people that are, are listening to this episode, some of them might have some of these objections, right? So first of all, you, you said that, you know, a certain amount of people do care about what you have to say and because you're only you know, you're one of a kind, right? You're unique and no one else thinks exactly like you do. Yeah. But I'm not, to a certain extent and in a certain sense, that is true. But at the same time, and I had this conversation with one of my clients the other day, and he referred to it as internal versus external frame of reference. And it's something that I've always, I've, I've thought about this a lot over the past years, is that most people, they don't truly have knowledge. They don't truly know things. They, they just kind of repeat what they've heard or seen or read. Mm. And they don't truly like synthesize it or integrate it into like a holistic worldview, right? They merely learn like what the different, what the different buzzwords are and, and what things you can say to get approval or to sound smart. Mm -hmm. um, and then they say those things. And I think that that is true for like the majority of, of people is, yeah, you might have read like 10 different design books and you might know all of these different concepts that have been taught by, you know, whoever, <laughs> um, but are you truly offering something new, something that you couldn't, that people couldn't get from reading, um, you know, a book by Debbie Millman or, or one of these types, right? So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is you mentioned at Lattimore as, you know, someone who has, you know, well over a hundred thousand followers on Twitter has been very successful online and, and has, you know, like a six figure, multi six figure business, in, you know, pretty much personal income just from being himself on the internet. And if he can do it, then anyone else can. But I think the difference 
and something that <laughs> I've uh, kind of grown aware of as you know, my work with Ed has has generated a certain amount of, uh, you, you know, street cred, let's say, and other people wanting to grow personal brands have contacted me and I've talked to them and I've heard their stories. And I think what makes Ed different and what his X factor is that he truly has a unique life story, right? Like he grew yeah. up dirt poor in the hood he became a you know first an amateur boxer and then a professional heavyweight boxer signed to uh jay-z's uh you know rock rock nation sports and then you know he suffered through this this period of alcoholism you know very rough and then he he made this tremendous comeback in his late 20s and early 30s where he you know he got a physics degree uh you know he served in the military he did all of these amazing things and everything that he applies himself himself towards be it you know competitive chess be it boxing be it um you know language acquisition i mean he truly excels at all of those things and i think that is, is something that only a very small number of people can claim about themselves, right? Most people, by definition, have quite average lives and, you know, are not going to be very interesting to people or inspirational or what have you. True. But everybody's got something that they do in a way that they do it that's different to everybody else. Uh, and I honestly believe, and I've spoken to a lot of people, not just on the podcast, but on other podcasts that I've done before, everybody's got a story if if you're willing to listen to them. And I, and I know it sounds, I know it sounds twee to say that and a little bit Disneyland. But <laughs> yeah, it, just a little bit. It, it is true. Everybody has something to say. But it's finding the thing to say. It, it, if I was to share design advice and you was to share exactly the same design advice, it just hit different because I'm coming at it from my life experience and you're coming at it from your life experience. And there's, as we've discussed on this, there's lots of different ways that we think about things. And I come at it from doing something over and over and over until you eventually get good at it and you come at it from an efficiency point of view and doing as little as possible. And neither of those things are a bad thing. They're both different perspectives. And I think if you do share your perspective on things and the way that you think and the way that you live your life, I do think you can build up a decent portfolio of interest. A couple of thousand people, maybe even more than that. But... I, I think that's why, to some extent, I've I've had a little bit of success on Twitter because I do talk about the things that I've done and I and I and I, I walk the walk as well as talk the talk. I, I say a lot of the same things that a lot of other people say, but I also do do it. You know, I'm saying it and I'm doing it. And I think if if you build a a, a portfolio of interest up and self promotion, and if you build your self promotion up around the things that you know exclusively and that you've experienced in your life 
you you will eventually get success from it. But if you are just like you said, following what other people are doing and not presenting that, then yeah, it does it does come off as a little bit fake. Uh, I, I think it's Ed Latimer, who I've seen tweet it before, you know, to, to be interesting, uh, to, to get people interested, you've got to be interesting. You've got to be doing something. Uh, you, you have to have something to say or some life experience to actually make people sit up and listen. And then I think anybody can build, uh, anybody can build something around that. But the actual, what makes the internet so exciting is that you can start building something to build the experience and then center all your self-promotion on the things that you've learned on building the thing that you're doing to build experience on. You can build up self-referential promotion like that and that's what makes the internet so exciting. So there's lots, there's lots of ways that you can do something and then make content from it. And there, there's definitely ways anybody can make something out of something, as long as you're kind of true, true to yourself to some extent, which I think is the hardest thing for a lot of people to do. Yeah, and if you want to succeed online, I think it becomes even more difficult because, like you, kind of touched upon earlier. Twitter and Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, all of these different social media, they really don't want you to, to be true to yourself, right? That's not how you succeed on social media. That's how you, (laughs) you know, that's how you end up with 20,000 tweets and like a hundred followers. Yeah. Like me, 37,000 tweets and 2000 followers. (laughs) well that's not too bad i think a lot of people are (laughs) a lot of people have it way worse but you know really like social media favors people that know how to play the game and are willing to kind of you know compromise on on their own integrity or or you know exaggerate certain parts of themselves or or do these different things that will attract more people to want to follow them. And I think this is particularly pernicious in the sort of online business industry, let's say, right. Where you do have a lot of quote unquote gurus who really are, are just kind of fabricating their own accomplishments, right. They might start out, you know, as, decent accounts, right? (laughs) Where they're just kind of documenting what they're doing. And then they slowly begin to realize that, Hey, if, you know, if I just like grew a huge social media following, then my earnings potential would be a lot higher than if I'm doing this, this other thing that I'm currently like writing about or, or documenting on social media. And so they, a lot of them will quickly pivot towards this fake content, you know, not being true to themselves, outright lying most of the time to their audience. And you can be very successful doing that, right? The question is, and this kind of ties back into our discussion about burnout is, you know, at some point, (laughs) you know, you're going to have to look, look yourself in the mirror and, and, you know, ask yourself, what am I, what am I doing here? What is the purpose of all of this? And am I actually like being true to myself or am, and am I actually accomplishing something of substance? 
And I think that's one of the, the traps of social media is that, you know, you're kind of encouraged to, to fabricate things rather than, you know, actually substantiate them, right? Yeah. Where you should be doing work, you should be working hard in order to, you know, achieve real things, real milestones, right? But it's a lot easier, it's a lot faster to just pretend that you have reached all of those milestones and you still get the same like dopamine kick from all of the validation that you receive on social media. So I'm not quite sure where, where I was going with that, but that's just kind of a, a side note, I suppose. I, I think the, the point that you're trying to make is that you, um, you can make a very successful social media following by faking it. And that, that's true. But um, you can also make a very successful social media following by using the same tactics that the fakers use for good for yourself. And I, I, there's, just a, there's just a thing that you've got to get over. For me, this year it's, it's helped hanging around with a bunch of Americans who have no fear about any of this stuff and find my whole, my whole attitude to any of it ridiculous. So that's helped me. That's helped me a lot. I think there's just a, there's just a level where you've just got to, you've got to get over yourself with it. Um, and and there's still certain things that bother me a little bit. There's still things I won't do. I still won't go right down the other end of using hashtags and and all all that kind of thing and and on Instagram I won't use hashtags and starting using hype fury was a big change for me because I I contemplated that for a long time as well and the only reason I did it is because somebody who I know another developer who lives near me um called Tom Hurst had started to build a big following on Twitter and I was like well if he's doing it and he's lives near me and he does very similar things to me there's no reason why I can't do it and I even then when I made that switch I still found it very difficult to promote myself and I still don't like promoting things that I've written and I still don't like selling things on Twitter and things like that I'm I'm still a little bit icky about that kind of stuff but it's but it's all a process and I think you've just got to just got to keep trying to just push it just a little bit more um it it is an internal thing to get over i think it, it is a it is a fear of promoting yourself and a fear of becoming off as fake i think and i think if you've got that fear of coming off as fake you won't come off as fake because you're aware right. of it. well it, it's not even so much a fear as it's just like a lack of motivation to say these things and to do these things, right? There's just like no, like speaking for myself now, obviously, but there's just not a single bone in my body that is telling me to like, oh, you should, you know, make everybody aware of how, you know, clever you are or how much you know about this this one thing. There. I'm completely content to <laughs> to keep all of that to myself and just go about my day because it it does take brain power to like 
you know, figure out like how to phrase this tweet and, and how to do this thing and, and what exactly should I say here? That takes brain power. And I, I just, at least for myself and maybe others are, are driven by fear or maybe others are driven by the same kind of just lack of <laughs> motivation, but I just, it takes so much in, you know, out of me to just sit down and, and think like, okay, now I am going to self-promote. And, <laughs> you know, that just doesn't, that thought doesn't really cross my mind. But yeah, I, I do wish I, I, I were American though. That, that would have, man. I think what you've got to do is find an honest way of doing it. Yeah. You've got to find the thing that doesn't feel icky for you. And that might be, you're pretty good at talking on podcasts. It might be a podcast. Or you, you find a way to promote yourself that isn't promotion, that doesn't feel like promotion. That's that's the, the way I spend most of my time. I, I do other things that I promote back to my Twitter account that doesn't feel like promotion, but does show my capabilities in something else. Or we, we might have just launched a new website and I'll link to the case study on the Genius Division website on my Twitter or whatever. It, it isn't... It isn't a big deal. I just link to it. And then if somebody notices it, notices it, they're like, oh, oh yeah, I did that too. So I, I don't I don't make a big deal of it. I know some people other people look at it in different ways, but that's the way I approach it. That I just do other things that give me an ability to promote myself in a backwards way that doesn't look like I'm just promoting myself. Do you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Makes sense. Don't you wish you were American, though? Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> well, they're, they're about to be dealing with a lot of things, so mm. yeah. Let, let's see where that goes. And on that note, I saw I saw your thing that you put up. Your, <laughs> your pro yeah, Trump I was wondering if that was going to come up. <laughs> we've we've spoke for an hour and twenty, probably an hour and twenty-five, which is amazing. I've Wow. I've enjoyed every second of it. Issy asked a question. We haven't got around to it, so I'm mm. gonna I'm gonna tweet you it and we'll okay. answer it on Twitter and I'll make sure right. I post it in the YouTube comments and she can see the answer. Cool. Cheers man, and we'll speak again soon. Alright. <laughs> you take care, Craig. You too.